that is. Well, I'm thankful for the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning while Pastor Don is away, and uh, thankful to be able to share the Lord's table with you as well. Uh, it's certainly a meaningful time for us as a congregation. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're not a regular churchgoer, uh, this practice might seem a little strange to you, a bunch of people eating and drinking at the same time in kind of a ritualistic fashion that's not really common in our culture, so Uh, Hopefully that'll become more clear why we do things the way that we do them as we talk through the Bible this morning. But if you're a regular attender, uh, I think it is mostly a meaningful experience to have a quiet moment, uh, to think about the cross. Uh, So maybe I think some of you uh, look up to the cross here uh, at the front of the auditorium or uh, you reflect quietly on on God's mercy in your life. Uh, Some of you may even envision a scene from Passion of the Christ or the Jesus film or uh, some image that you've seen of the crucifixion. And that's all to the good. Uh, That's all at the core, at the heart of why we celebrate the Lord's table, to remember Jesus' death on the cross. But I want us to see the bigger picture a little bit more this morning, to think, why is the cross so important? And what are the implications even for here and now? Um, Why is it that we eat and drink in order to remember? Uh, Certainly, when you think of remembering, you know, your your kids' birthdays, you don't eat and drink to remember that, right? You just put the date on the calendar, you remember it. So why is it that we do things the way that we do? Well, I think the main reason we celebrate the Lord's table is to reorient us to our place in the kingdom of God. Now, just a working definition for us this morning, uh, certainly not exhaustive, but a helpful one, I think, is to think of the kingdom of God as God's people under God's authority. So God's people who gather under his authority. The problem is, right now, you can't see the kingdom of God. So we're gathered here as a church, but it's not guaranteed that every person gathered here has bowed the knee to Jesus. Not everyone here has made him Lord of their life. So this isn't exactly the same as the kingdom of God. So how is it that we get a glimpse of the kingdom? Well, I think the Lord has given us this table to be a tangible way that we can experience the kingdom of God even now. And we'll see this idea more clearly unfolded in Luke chapter 22, as our sermon text this morning. So if you want to turn over to Luke 22. I think there are some similarities with the Passover meal. So our scripture reading this morning, a fairly lengthy one from Exodus chapter 12, explains the nature of the Passover and the meaning of the Passover. Now this is not exactly the same as that, but it's at the time of the Passover that Jesus institutes this table. And so I think there's significant overlap and as I look at Scripture, there's really three main reasons why, or, uh, why God gave the people of Israel the Passover. Uh, the first, which is mentioned in the text in Exodus 12, is to remember that God passed over the houses of the Israelites when he struck down the firstborn of the Egyptians. So in effect, the people of Israel were to remember that God spared them his judgment. That's kind of the main thing. But there are a couple of other reasons I think are clearly spelled out in other texts, which is that God was giving his people a new identity in the Passover meal. See, at the time of the first Passover, the people were slaves in Egypt. 
under Pharaoh's rule. And when the Passover comes, God brings the people out of Egypt, the Exodus. He brings them out of Egypt into the wilderness and establishes them as his people under his rule. So they're no longer slaves under Pharaoh. They are free people under God. So that's a key piece as well, the identity that he gives to his people. And then third, I think it's to remember that God came through on his promise. So in Genesis chapter 15, God made a promise to Abraham. He said, your descendants, who at that point didn't exist yet, your descendants are going to go to a foreign land. They're going to be slaves for 400 years. And after that time, I'm going to come and visit them. I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to make them my people. And I'm going to give them this land. So that was a promise that God had made. And the Passover is a reminder that after hundreds of years, where it seemed as though God was not going to remember his promise, that he still came through on it. I think each of those three elements that, we, uh, that the people of Israel were spared God's judgment, they were given a new identity, and they were to remember that God came through on his promise, are all elements that carry over into our celebration of the Lord's table. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14. Feel free to follow along. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man goes as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercised authority over them called themselves benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer to you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So here we see Jesus instituting or... uh, giving us orders, marching orders, to observe this table. So that's a big reason why we celebrate it the way we do. But again, we see that this participation in the Lord's table is a tangible way we can experience the kingdom of God even now. And so Jesus uses the image of the table in different ways to explain something about himself as the king in the kingdom, He uses the table as an image to explain the culture of the kingdom and how we're to interact with one another. And then he talks about the kingdom as the promise of the future kingdom yet to come. And we'll see all those things unfolded 
in our text this morning. So first, Jesus as our king. This is his table. Uh, Often we've referred to it as the Lord's table, but I think it's just as fitting to refer to it as the king's table. What do we know about this king who presides over this table? I think the first thing we learn in this passage is that he's a suffering king. Look with me at verse 14. It says, when the hour came. What hour is this? Why is that significant? Well, strictly speaking, Luke has been walking us through a progression already. So if you look at verse 1, the day of the Passover was approaching. It's not here yet. So you're moving towards that day. In verse 7, the day has arrived. And symbolically, he says, when the Passover lamb is to be sacrificed. Now we move from the day to the hour, verse 14. But symbolically, it means much more than that, obviously. This is the hour for which Jesus came. All of human history pointed to this hour. This was the hour when God himself would provide the answer to our greatest problems. When the only sacrifice that could atone for sins would be made. And Jesus knew that. Seems like he was the only one who knew it at that point. But it's not just that he suffered, but this was the plan all along. This is a king who intends to suffer for his people. Now there are some liberal commentators out there who would argue today that Jesus was nothing more than a political revolutionary and he just got caught up kind of the wrong place at the wrong time and in the chaos of the moment, he was executed. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus came for this hour to die for his people. But before he dies, before he suffers, he earnestly or eagerly desires to eat with his disciples. Because this plan to suffer is about much more than just forgiving sins. It's about that, and that's at the core of it, but it's about much more than that as well. This is a king who desires to be with his people, to be with us. When we celebrate the Lord's table, we're reminded this is a table of belonging, where we belong. When we gather around this table, we remember that we belong with Jesus. There might be some of you here this morning who feel like you don't really belong anywhere. Uh, Maybe you feel like uh, you're just out of place in whatever context you find yourself in. You feel lonely, estranged, or maybe you even feel uh, uncomfortable in your own skin. You feel like you don't belong anywhere, not even with yourself. Maybe you feel a sense of emptiness because everything you've tried to fill your life with and everyone you've tried to associate with has left you feeling empty. They've let you down. I'm reminded as we come to this table of the prayer of an old African pastor who said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Meaning until we find our place at the table with Jesus, we're going to be restless. We're going to be uneasy. We may not uh, be aware of it all the time, but there's only one place where we truly belong, and that's with the king. So what are you resting in this morning? Where are you trying to belong? Where are you trying to fit in? Whose approval are you seeking? When you come here and you sit at this table with a king who intended all along to suffer for you in order to forgive your sins to be with you, there's nowhere else you'd rather be. There's nowhere else where you will find rest. And look at what he says. 
He says, I have eagerly desired to eat with you. He says, my body is given for you. My blood is poured out for you. The eating and drinking is a tangible reminder that Jesus wants to be with us. And in another image in John chapter 6, Jesus gives the image, he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. So this intimacy that Jesus is seeking with us is represented at the table. As we eat and drink, we're reminded not only does he want to be with us like an acquaintance might want to be, but he wants to be so near to us that you could describe it as being in him and he in us. But this eating and drinking also gives us a physical sense of the intimacy we have with one another. When we gather around this table, we get a tangible glimpse of who else it is that we belong with. At this table, we're not primarily Americans. We're not primarily Republicans or Democrats. We're not primarily Michigan or Michigan State. We're not primarily white or black or Hispanic or Asian. We aren't even primarily male or female, as it says in Galatians chapter 3. At this table, we are reminded that we are God's people. That is who we are. Like the Israelites, when they came to celebrate the Passover, they they left their tribal lands behind. They came to Jerusalem, which was where God dwelled and where all the people of Israel would gather, to be reminded that their primary allegiance was not to their family or their tribe, but it was to God and to his people, all of his people. So when we gather around this table, envision that kingdom. Envision a kingdom where the things that divide us have faded to the background. And the only thing that matters is Jesus. But again, as we gather around this table, we learn something else about the king, which is that this is a king we don't deserve. This king who suffers for us in order to be with us sits in the presence of the one who would betray him, Judas. Now he knows it's the plan. He's known this has been the plan all along. He's the one who called Judas. But this is really a microcosm of Jesus' whole life and ministry, isn't it? To be in the presence of his enemies, people he created for his glory and ultimately for their good, people who despise and reject him, who even hate him, maybe by their apathy, maybe by outright hatred. And yet Jesus comes to them to eat with them before he suffers for them. And just as a tangent, how great a reminder it is that in the hour of need, the hour where Jesus sat at the table in the presence of his enemies, the Lord prepared a table before him. That's the promise of Psalm 23, isn't it? The Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. How much more will he do that for us? But it's interesting, look at how the apostles respond. Jesus drops the bomb. He says, one of you is going to betray me. Imagine a Thanksgiving dinner, right, where the host says, yeah, one of you is going to kill me before tomorrow or have me killed, right? At that point, the mashed potatoes stop passing, right? Everybody's kind of quiet and looking up like, what? But look at how they respond. They begin to question who's going to do this, right? We've been with this guy for three years now. Now somebody's going to stab him in the back? What's going on with that? But their curiosity quickly takes them down a road 
that diverts their attention from the momentous occasion of that hour. They think, well, while we're ranking people, right, while we got trying to figure out who's at the bottom here, who's the traitor, let's talk about who's at the top, right? Which one of us is going to be the greatest in this kingdom that Jesus is promising? We are so man-centered in our thinking, aren't we? The easiest, the quickest little diversion moves our attention away from Jesus and back on to lesser things, back on to ourselves. Here Jesus is pouring out his heart to these people. He's explaining that he's going to suffer for them and all they can think about is themselves. But that's true of us too, right? How much time, even while we gather here together to worship, how much time do we spend thinking about ourselves? Every time the word is unfolded to us, and every time we gather at this table, Jesus is once again pouring out his heart to us. He says, this is my body. This is my blood, and it's for you. But all you can think about is yourself and your own stature. We're too often preoccupied with ourselves, and that reveals something about us as well, which is this is a king that we don't deserve. But we learn about more than just the king. We learn about uh, the culture of the kingdom. And so Jesus uses the table, again, as an illustration of what life is like in the kingdom of God. What kind of kings are we going to be in this kingdom? Jesus is going to challenge our table etiquette here this morning. They want to know who's the greatest. Jesus says the kings of the Gentiles are the ones who lord it over them. They lord their authority over other people. They use other people for their benefit. That's the whole system of the world, isn't it? People using one another to get the most out of their own, uh, to satisfy their own desires. How are we like them? How are we tempted to be like the rulers of the Gentiles? Think about the people in your life. Do they exist to meet your needs? How many people can you honestly say, I'm here to serve you? Always. This table reminds us that the gospel frees us to serve others. In fact, it turns every opportunity we have, every relationship in our lives, the gospel turns into an opportunity to serve others. If you think about your life as a movie script, who's the main character? Are you the main character? Does the plot line revolve around you and the events of your life? Or is Jesus the main character? Now, God is gracious, and he gives us a part, right? He gives us a part in the movie. He gives us a seat at the table, and that's meaningful. That's incredibly valuable. But we're not the main character, and we're not at the place of honor at the table. Jesus is the main character. And he comes as the main character, not as a prima donna who needs everyone else to serve him, but he comes to serve us, and that is what he desires for us. So we ought to be servants like him. So do you like to serve this morning? Maybe not do you like to serve. Do you serve? I know many of you do, and I'm thankful to God for this church where we've seen year after year, we see people giving of themselves sacrificially who demonstrate their knowledge of the gospel and their embrace of Jesus as their king and how they give of themselves to serve others. Are we doing that? I'm sure there's some of us here that aren't. 
And if you don't like to serve this morning, if you prefer other people uh, serving your needs and meeting your preferences, have you really understood the gospel? The gospel turns everything we do into an opportunity for service because we already know who we are. We don't need to achieve some status where somehow other people are now obligated to serve us. We have the status. We're at the table. And now we're free to serve others. There's many ways to do this. I'm not going to outline them all. There are many formal ways. We heard last week about Awana. What a great opportunity to serve the kingdom of God by ministering in Awana. In the coming weeks, we'll hear about more ways to serve, more structured ways here in the church. But what about informal ways? Are you serving those around you already? If the gospel turns everything we do into an opportunity to serve, that's not a seasonal thing, right? It doesn't come and go with the fall and spring and then summer we take off of living in the kingdom of God and then we come back to it, you know, uh, after our hiatus. Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus still tells us that greatness in his kingdom is about serving those around us. So what are we doing even now? Do we even know the needs of the people around us? Believe me, there are lots of needs, and we are the church. We are those that God has brought to the table and given an opportunity to serve others. Are we taking advantage of that this morning? But there's one final table in this passage, the table in glory. Verse 28. You are among those, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, verse 30, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. This is a table yet to come. But this table is a tangible representation that gives us a vision, a hope, a certain hope of what's yet to come. There's going to be a table in a kingdom that will never decay. A kingdom that's never going to be overthrown or toppled. A king who will reign forever. And we get to be at that table. But Jesus tells who's going to be at that table in verse 28. Those who have stood by me in my trials. The book of Luke is a fascinating study in discipleship. According to Luke, or Jesus as he speaks in Luke, discipleship is about putting your hand to the plow and not looking back, no matter what trials may come. Discipleship is comparatively hating your father and mother, no matter how much you care about other people or how much you fear other people. Discipleship is carrying your cross, whether it be temptation or suffering. Discipleship is about giving up everything you have for him, not just your material possessions, but your very body given as a living sacrifice for your king, the Lord Jesus. Discipleship is about all of that, and not only doing all of that, but persevering in it until the end. And if you ever get in the road of discipleship and you think, boy, this is not worth it. It's too hard. I don't want this cross of suffering. I don't want this besetting sin or temptation. Remember, there's a day coming. There's a kingdom yet to come. And we'll be at the table there. See, right now it's hard to see. Right now, Jesus reigns by a kind of soft power, as it were, by persuasion. Those who have been persuaded by the Spirit through his word that Jesus is the king, those are the ones right now who have bowed the knee. Those are the ones we gather around this table, we partake of this meal together. But one day, Jesus is going to reign by force. 
by coercion. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But we don't see that yet. Right? You go out to your day-to-day life, how many people are acknowledging Jesus' authority in day-to-day life for you? Uh, maybe you're in more of a Christian circle, and so you see it a little more clearly. But for most of us, we're out there in places where we don't see people obeying Jesus. We don't see him exercising his authority right now. And so we come to this table and we get a glimpse of it. This Jesus who rules as a servant, who comes to serve his people. And so we come to this table in remembrance, not just of what he has done, but of all that he is, even now and ever will be. Eating and drinking is really a big theme in the Bible. If you kinda, It's an interesting study if you trace it through. It often signifies a momentous occasion when there's eating and drinking. The first record of people eating together was in the garden, Adam and Eve. And they ate in disobedience to God. And it was momentous in that it plunged all of humanity into sin and death. Those are our real problems. We still experience them today, and that's a result of eating. But the story continues. God gives Israel the Passover, a momentous meal to be eaten in recognition of his salvation through judgment to give them a new identity. In one of the more mysterious passages of the Old Testament, when God ratifies his covenant with Israel at Sinai, which uh, cements their identity as his people, it says the elders of Israel go up on the mountain, and it says they saw God and they ate and drank. It's a fascinating passage, Exodus 24. And Jesus uses uh, that same word for celebratory meal, the, the festal gathering in Revelation. It says the Lord reigns. There's going to be a wedding feast of the Lamb. That's how the story ends. There's going to be another meal. And we see a glimpse of it here through a mirror dimly, perhaps, but then we'll see it in full. But as Jesus talks about celebratory meals, I'm reminded of a a parable that he tells in the Gospel of Luke that talks about a celebratory meal. And he ends that parable with a great promise for us. He says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the table. It gives us a picture of the kingdom and the king who reigns in glory even now. Father, we know Jesus has suffered. That was the plan. But now he is risen and he, is, he has all authority waiting for it to be delivered under his feet when he reigns by force one day. May we be among those who are found at that table on that day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.